0: Hello everyone. Welcome back to the Cotton Grower Magazine's Cotton Companion Podcast. This is Jim Steadman, Senior Editor of Cotton Grower, and I'm flying solo again today as my colleague Beck Barnes is, as the networks would say, on assignment. But despite his absence, we're going to soldier on and cover several topics that I hope you're going to find interesting. I had the good fortune to be in Lubbock a week ago for the presentation of our 2021 Cotton Achievement Award to Ted Sheely of Lemoore, California. And attending the luncheon were six past recipients of the award all who live within 50 to 100 miles of lubbock they all knew ted ted knew all of them and it was just a pleasure to be able to orchestrate an event like that and just be able to you know sitting and listening to the stories was worth the price of admission and a big thank you obviously then to americot and its next-gen brand of cotton seed for their continued sponsorship of the cotton achievement award and for making this event possible. Now, one of the obvious realities of being in West Texas is the first thing you notice is it's dry. There's just no other way to describe it. And the concerns over getting a cotton crop in the ground without irrigation continue to rise. As one longtime grower told me uh, while I was there, we're already past plans A and B. We're looking hard at C, and we're still putting together plans D, E, and F for the year. So when we got to the Plain Cotton Growers 65th annual meeting, no one was really surprised when the Bishop of Lubbock, the most reverend Robert Corver, included a plea for rain in his, uh, in his opening invocation. But perhaps the biggest stir and chuckle came from, uh, from Travis Myers in his pre-luncheon blessing, which he ended with, and lastly, Lord, we pray that all who are wearing 100% polyester are really uncomfortable. Amen. Amen, indeed. Now, one of the other topics of interest in Lubbock and elsewhere is preparation and maneuvering that's already beginning for the 2023 Farm Bill debate. There are already a lot of topics and rumors swirling around, as well as questions about how the upcoming midterm elections could impact the House and Senate Ag Committees and some of the priorities for the bill. Our good friend Reese Langley, who is Vice President of Washington Operations for the National Cotton Council will join me in just a few minutes to provide some insight on what's already going on, what may be coming, and how it could impact the cotton industry. So be sure to stay tuned for that discussion. And now quickly, just a couple of items, uh, recent items of interest for cotton. Uh, An EPA announcement on March 29th, restored use of Enlist herbicides on Enlist-tolerant cotton, corn, and soybeans to many US counties. Uh, this label amendment, which was prompted by new data submitted to EPA, lifted county-level bans on use of Enlist and Enlist Duo in 134 counties across multiple states. That's down significantly from the 217 restricted-use counties when Enlist and uh, when the Enlist products received new registrations in January. This EPA statement restored applications of Enlist to all counties in Arkansas, Kansas, Minnesota, Missouri. Nebraska, Ohio, Oklahoma, and South Dakota, as well as to six additional counties in Texas. Now, restrictions do remain in place for several dozen counties in Alabama, Arizona, Colorado, Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, New York, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Texas. And they're hoping to work out some of the some more uh, lifting of those of those restrictions here as uh, as planting season approaches. We do have a new uh, a new product. For inferro treatment of nematodes in cotton. Uh, that is Averland FC, nematicide insecticide miticide from VIVE Crop Protection. Uh, this low use rate product combines abamectin with Veve's patented allospurse delivery system that makes it the only abamectin inferro solution registered for nematodes in cotton and also mixes well with liquid fertilizers and other crop inputs, including most fungicides. So, something to watch, uh, watch for. If you're, uh, if you're still using the treatments uh, on treatments in your fields. USDA's prospective plantings report came out uh, within the past two weeks. And the report for the 2022 crop year shows a total cotton planted area projected at 12.2 million acres for the year. That's up 9% from 2021. The upland cotton area is expected to, to total slightly more than 12 million acres with Pima area estimated to increase to 176,000 acres, and that's up 39% on those Pima acres from last year. In all estimated cotton acres are projected increase in in all but one cotton producing states, the largest projected increase expected in Louisiana. Only Arizona shows a total decrease in cotton acres despite 9% growth in Pima acres. So that's the, as far as we're concerned, that's the end of the, uh, of the projections at this point for cotton acres. Let's move on to planting, and then we'll see what the, uh, what the planted report shows at the end of June. And finally, best wishes for a happy retirement to Tony Williams. Tony's uh, been executive vice president of the Texas Cotton Ginners Association for the past 33 years, and he's done some wonderful work uh, for the ginners and for the growers in that state. So congratulations, Tony. We hope you enjoy your retirement. And as always, you can find more information about these stories and other news online at cottongrower.com. Now I'd like to welcome back to the Cotton Companion Virtual Studio, our friend Reese Langley. He's Vice President of Washington Operations for the National Cotton Council. Reese, thanks for taking time to join us today.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Well, I, I think it's fair to say that with everything else that's going on in Washington that's grabbing our attention recently. It's kind of hard to believe that it's farm bill time again. It seems like we just finished the current bill, but, you know, that was, what, 2018? And a lot of a lot of things have happened since then, right?
1: Well, that's true. A lot has happened, obviously, and um, you're right. The, the farm bill work seems to roll around pretty quickly from one to the next, but it is time to... Uh, get focused on writing the new bill, and obviously the agriculture committees in Congress are already starting to lay some of that foundation for writing the next bill, hopefully sometime in 2023.
0: Now, we were both in Lubbock recently for the uh, Plains Cotton Growers annual meeting, and one of the statements that was made during the session you participated in really stuck with me, that today there are 151 members, of the House of Representatives, and 23 senators who have never voted on a farm bill. What kind of particular challenge is this going to be for the 2023 farm bill?
1: So, you know, I think always between farm bills, a lot of the work, as you know, that that the National Cotton Council and and our colleagues at other ag organizations try to do Mm -hmm. is a lot of education with members of Congress and their staff, just about the importance of the farm bill and ag policy for our industry. And so certainly that's work that we have all been doing in this intervening period. But as you noted, with that much turnover since the last farm bill was debated and voted on in Congress, it's been a pretty monumental task to try to meet and help educate all those members and staff and then you add on top of that what we've gone through now for over two years with the pandemic and just how that's impacted our ability to interact Uh it really has complicated those efforts and i think as you noted once we get through the midterm elections this fall i would not be surprised if we're looking at north of 200 of those members in that category that have never voted on a farm bill, so a lot of work to be done on the education front before, uh, hopefully, before those members and their staff have to consider this next farm bill. I
0: know one of the one of the comments that that your your panel made last week because it was it was a, a panel of not just not just cotton but also of sorghum and also of, of sugar. Uh, Sort of looks like there's there's a lot more coalitions and cooperative work being done between associations as far as this education program. Uh, has that is that something that's really come about because of the uh, of the the pandemic and and the th- the way things have had to operate over the last few years?
1: I think that's one of the factors, and and I do think that is. Um... Certainly the case that if we look across the kind of ag commodity group landscape, there does seem to be more, as you said, cohesiveness and coordination among the groups. And that's certainly a very positive development. You know, there's always been, I think, back over a number of farm bills, you've had different organizations that kind of come together and work jointly, but that hasn't necessarily always represented most of production agriculture. But I think we're on a path now where that's uh, much more the case And so I think the pandemic has had something to do with that. I think just um, the fact that um, the leadership in these organizations has recognized the importance to be coordinated and trying to work uh, in conjunction with each other instead of at cross purposes. And so all of that, I think, we hope will bode very well for agriculture at large as we move into working on this next farm bill.
0: Well, let's take a look at the at, at what is kind of on the table or what's being discussed right now. Are there any priorities from the White House or USDA that appear destined for the farm bill?
1: Um, you know, it's hard to tell at this point. I think, um, you know, there's been some questions uh, recently of Uh, usda leadership as far as how they intend to engage on this next farm bill as you know some administrations have chosen to provide very detailed policy recommendations to the agriculture committees other times the administration kind of takes a step back and just provides that technical expertise and input that the committees request but doesn't really try to influence the policy necessarily And so, I think it's still an unanswered question with this current administration and and current USDA leadership. You know, historically, when USDA has tried to be more assertive and provided specific policy recommendations, those have not typically been heeded by the ag committees. And so, I think if history is a guide, I would say that we would not see any specific uh, policy recommendations necessarily.
0: Well, then, then let me let me take it from another perspective. The House Chair David Scott and the Senate Chair uh, Stabenow uh, have they outlined any priorities or programs that that they would like to uh, to see in this next Farm Bill?
1: You know, I think uh, as we look at some of the areas that both of those committees have focused on in the last year plus um, with hearings and other things, certainly the activity in the climate change or climate space and what role agriculture is going to play in that I think that will continue to be part of the focus for the agriculture committees as they move into developing the next farm bill and so you know that's most likely to be looked at within the context of the conservation title and probably a lot of the existing working lands programs and what can be done to try to uh, provide you know more enhancements and more flexibility maybe in some of those incentives that can be focused specifically to help address some of the carbon and climate initiatives. That would be one area. I'm sure um, as a result of the pandemic and all of the things that had to be done to try to help uh, boost some of the nutrition and feeding programs, that may have highlighted some things from on the policy side that need to be looked at within the nutrition title in the next farm bill. And then, um, you know, I think as we saw in the commodity group hearing that the House Committee had a few weeks ago, um, because of where input prices are today, even though we Most commodities are are benefiting from strong commodity markets. You know, the input cost have really outpaced those higher prices. And so there started to be some discussion both among the witnesses and a lot of members on the committee in looking to the next farm bill. Does there need to be a way to try to help ensure or protect margins for producers rather than simply trying to set Support levels based on prices or revenue. So I think that's something that will be looked at more closely in the lead up to the Farm Bill.
0: Now, of course, uh, Representative Scott and, and Senator Stabenow, of course, are are part of the majority Democratic Party at this point. Uh, do you see any major changes in direction if the Republicans resume control following the the midterm elections? You
1: know, I think the biggest uh, change of focus that we might see. In, in that outcome is certainly as I kind of where I started is on the climate focus. I think if Republicans were to control both the House and Senate and, and those ag committees, then I think the, the climate focus would probably be less and, uh, and maybe the ideas or policy tools to try to address climate would be different. In, with a, a new majority. So I think that would be one place. Um, there's probably a few other things as far as uh, how some of the programs might be structured in terms of limits on support or eligibility requirements, some of those things. And then certainly how some nutrition and feeding programs are handled. I think that you'd see a different viewpoint depending on who's in control. So I think definitely there there would be a different uh, agenda probably in some areas for the committees.
0: Now, we visited with uh, NCC Chairman Ted Schneider a few episodes ago, and he kind of hinted that Cotton's just is happy to be back at the table, uh, but may not have a long wish list for this 2023 bill. I know you're watching this closely pretty much every day. What are Cotton's? priorities for this upcoming debate?
1: Well, as Chairman Snyder noted, we, we do feel very fortunate with where we are in the current farm bill and the seed cotton program within ARC and PLC. We think that's working very well, along with maintaining a functioning marketing loan program, which is so important to our industry. So we certainly want to see that maintained as we move forward. And in terms of any adjustments or improvements you know, I think there are some things that need to be looked at and considered uh, within that, the context of this next bill. And as an industry, we're still pretty early in the process of trying to surface some of these ideas from our different state and regional grower organizations. And so that those issues will be coming up through our Farm Policy Task Force within the American Cotton Producers. And then, you know, from there, we'll Also want to get input and recommendations from our six other industry segments. And so that will all work its way through our policy process, which we expect will take most of this year and maybe even into early next year before we arrive at what are our farm bill policy requests or positions going to be. So we still have a lot of that work in front of us to do yet.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a busy time now. Yes, sir. We've, we've seen before some, you know, history has shown us that, that these five-year bills occasionally take longer than five years to debate and pass, but you see any watchouts or obstacles that might slow the process down for this bill, and could we be looking at extensions of the current bill?
1: Well, we certainly could be looking at an extension of, of some length. Uh, if we look back to the 2018 Farm Bill, you know, that's probably one of the more recent examples where, or kind of an outlier in terms of that bill, as you know, was introduced and passed and implemented all in the same calendar year. And that has not historically been the case with Farm bills. So I'm not sure if that that can happen again in 2023 or not. In terms of what might change that or slow things down, Um, Back to a point earlier, if we do see a change in control and majority of the House and or Senate, and then, you know, I think that will probably delay things some because you'll have to do more reorganization at the ag committees in terms of members and staff and um, just kind of getting things rolling early next year would take a little bit longer. And obviously the overall Congress, um, again, if you have that change in majority and leadership. So that would be one thing. And I think really, as we look ahead to kind of what are going to be the primary determinants on the next farm bill, it's one, what we're talking about here with the political environment and who is in control of each body and therefore leading the the ag committees. Um, Secondly, what is the conditions in terms of the agricultural economy early next year and where are the commodity markets relative to where they are today and relative to current support levels. And then two, as you know, the the big one is just where is the federal budget situation and the funding that is or is not available for the farm bill. And, you know, if there's not a way for the ag committees to be able to achieve some additional budget authority for writing the farm bill, then I think that really does limit the amount of changes or uh, new policies that can be looked at in terms of the existing budget baseline.
0: Sure. Now, assuming that that we can keep this thing on schedule and, and actually get it worked out by the end of 2023, what's the timing at this point for things that have to happen?
1: So, you know, I think, um, again, the committees need to continue to collect input and feedback from all the Mm -hmm. different stakeholders. And of course, that's already started in both committees. Right. And we would anticipate that's going to continue throughout this year with field hearings and other hearings and listening sessions. So that's all very positive. So hopefully a lot of that groundwork will be laid by early next year. But then I think to be able to get a final farm bill approved and signed into law by the end of 2023. That's going to mean that the uh, ag committees are going to need to be uh, doing a lot of, you know, probably some staff work and uh, analysis and uh, some policy development very early next year uh, to be able to move that through then both the House and Senate and work out any differences in a conference committee and then get that bill to the president to sign by the end of the year. So you know, I do think it will end up being a fairly aggressive
0: timeline to make that happen. Sure. Well, all I can say is it's, it's certainly going to be interesting. We all may need to kind of buckle in for a wild ride here over the next, uh, next 18 months or so. Reese, thanks for joining us today. As always, uh, you provide some valuable insight and it's something that our listeners certainly appreciate. Uh, We're all going to be keeping our eyes on Washington and hoping for the best and uh, and a positive outcome as we go through this farm bill process.
1: Thank you very much. Great to talk with you today.
0: Thank you. Well, that's it for this episode of the Cotton Companion podcast. Special thanks again to Reese Langley for joining us. And as always, thanks to you, dear listeners, for joining us as well. If you like what you hear on the Cotton Companion, please be sure to spread the word. Tell your friends about this podcast. Here's where and how they can find us. You can find The Cotton Companion in three easy ways. First, go to cottongrower.com forward slash companion, or simply click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. Second, subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts these days. And three, sign up for our weekly e newsletter, The Cotton Grower e News, that's delivered to your email inbox every Tuesday morning. You can do that by going to cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, be sure to follow Cotton Grower on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you'll find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. Cotton Companion Podcast is produced twice monthly by Tyler Hatch and Kim Henderson, our talented colleagues at the world headquarters for Meister Media Worldwide in Willoughby, Ohio. My name's Jim Stedman. Beck Barnes and I will be back with you in two weeks for the next episode of The Cotton Companion. Until then, stay safe. Yeah, it works and it works and it works and it works all day. God made a farm. Yeah, it works and it works and it works and it works and it works all day.